clap and praise. Isn't that so good, church? I mean, how perfect. We didn't even plan like that bridge would say that. But as the part says, even in the sun or rain, come on, my life celebrates that you are good. Come on, we can celebrate right now the goodness of the Lord. Every heart, come on, right now. God, you're so good. Oh, Jesus. We praise you, God. Your presence is here. Your Holy Spirit is here. God, we adore you in this place. Come on, just lift up your hearts right now. God, we adore you in this place. There is no one like you. No matter where we go in this life, no matter where we go on this earth, God, there is no one that would ever compare to you, God. We adore you, God. We lift you up in this time. from your heart down on me your glory streams from your face so lovely go sing it again sing mercy and mercy it falls from your heart down on me your glory Streams from your face so lovely. What a million words, a million words could not describe how marvelous your perfect life and I adore you. And I will sing it with all my heart. sing that my heart that my heart it beats to the rhythm of your heart oh, that my eyes that my eyes they focus on your beautiful eyes a million tongues a million tongues could not express how beautiful your holiness and I adore you and I will sing it with all my heart and I adore you and I love everything you are and I adore you I will sing it with all my heart And I adore you And I love everything you are You 
we'll sing it again. Sing mercy. And mercy, it falls from your heart down. Come on, do you believe it? We'll sing your glory. Your glory, it streams from your face so lovely. Come on, sing a million words. Words could not come on the best of your perfect life, and I adore you. And I will sing it with all my heart, and I adore you. I love everything you. Come on, sing. Yes, I adore you, Jesus. I will sing it with all my heart. I am. from your heart to sing a song right now from your heart to the Lord come on yeah we adore you in this place for all that you are oh Lord your salvation for dying on a cross for our sins so the world can know you God we praise you Lord we praise you God come lift your voice for now we sing to you this morning preparing our hearts and our minds to reach people to pray for people I mean let's, let's not just because it's raining outside doesn't mean our heart can change and we mean that we don't have to do it anymore and, and so guys I just still want us to have that heart let's, let's lift up that community still amen because believe you me there are people going to be out there tomorrow the week after that and there's people that need the Lord and and this will lift them up right now in this time let's pray for them as we sing this next song Come on, let's just keep our hearts in that same mindset. God, we lift up people so that they can know you. We lift them up. God, be patient with them. Come on. If you know some people that are not saved, just call them by name right now. You can pray for them. Let's feel weird. 
Come on, call them my name. God, be patient for, for my brother, God. Be patient with this city, God. Be patient, Lord. This next song we're going to want to sing is called For the Sake of the World. And the message is very powerful and it's very evangelistic. It's just saying that God... Fill me up for the sake of this world so I can go back and be a light unto darkness. Set a fire, God, in my heart so that I won't compromise and make it just a, a Sunday thing. But God, so that I'm making my heart's desire. Amen. Fire in me. 
for the sake For the sake of the world Burn like a fire in me Light a flame in my soul For every eye to see For the sake of the world to believe for every voice to cry out burn like a fire in me for every tongue to confess you alone are the king you are the hope of the end for the sake every voice for the sake of the world burn like a fire in me Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire. So desire, Lord, come on, for the sake. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every hour. Oh, sing it out for the sake of the world. Like a fire, Lord. Oh, for the sake, for the sake of the world. Like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul. Keep the fire burning, keep the fire burning in my heart, Lord, in my heart, Lord. Oh, it's a fire, consume it all. Let it consume our minds, let it consume our fears, let it consume our future, Lord. Oh, burn like a fire, burn like a fire, burn like a fire in me. Run like a fire in me. Run like a fire in me. Oh, light a flame, light a flame, light a flame. So I said I was so. Light a flame. Run like a fire. 
We ask that you would burn deep within us, dear God, that we would impact this world, dear God, impact our generation. For the sake of this world, God, we ask that you would ignite us ablaze. Father, we pray for passion. We come against complacency in the name of Jesus. Father, we come against that lying devil in Jesus' name. Father, those idols that we put before you, those things that have made us comfortable in our walk with you, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would expose them. Expose them now, dear God. Things that are holding us back from, from burning, from burning for you, dear God. I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would expose them. Oh, dear God, families that have been put before you, jobs that have been put before you, dear God. Oh, they're trying to extinguish the flame, dear God, but your word tells us to, to fan the flames, dear God, deep within our soul. Father, so today we pray for a fanning. We pray that you would stir us up, dear God. We pray that there will be a hunger in this place, dear God. A desire to be with you. A desire to know you and to do the work of the ministry, dear God. A desire to reach out to the lost and see them be saved, changed and transformed. Oh, come on, God is jealous for you. He's jealous for your time. He's jealous for your devotion. Come on, He's jealous for those talents that He's given you. Don't bury them. Don't bury the talents that God has given you. Oh, have mercy on your people. God, we declare that in this room we would be the light of the world. We would be the salt in this world, dear God. In Jesus' name, you've called us out of darkness. You've placed a purpose in us. Hallelujah. You've placed a purpose. The Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us direction and guidance. That there would be a joy. The joy of our salvation would be restored, dear God. This afternoon, in this place. We know that you're raising up a mighty army, dear God. So do it here. Do it now, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise. If you're excited about the work that God is doing in you, come on, praise them. Hallelujah!
greet your neighbor and just find a seat. So good to have you guys all here. So good to have you guys here this afternoon. You guys excited for round two? Amen. Here comes Pastor Joe. Thank you. Hey, uh, we're going to do a little practice of evangelism because that's what my dad was saying he would want to have. Um, so we're going to do a couple mock trials, and then uh, Jared's going to preach to us. So, Berto, would you do me a favor? Can you grab the podium for me as well? Uh, Jared, why don't you come on? And uh, we're going to give you guys a couple different uh, ways that we evangelize. Uh, Andrew, do we have another uh, microphone for him? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to give you guys some different ways that we evangelize and just, you know, give you guys some practice, and then we'll take some questions from you, okay? And uh, can we turn on the light back here as well? All right, Jared, do you want to test out that mic, see if it's ready? All right, I can hear you. <laughs> Okay, so which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the guy who tries to convert me, or do you want me to be the guy who tries to convert you? You want to be the sinner? Can you be a good sinner, though? <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We may, we may do a couple tries at it, too. to get You know, once we get over the nerves, we're not actors, you know, but we really want to give you guys some experience, okay? We'll wait for him to get the microphone on. Um, but we want to help you guys with different techniques, different methods. My simple method that I like to use to get people to stop and talk is I just say, can I talk to you about Jesus? That's what I like to do. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Because by saying that, people know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, you know, as I was teasing before about the food and people are like, are you trying to bribe us? And I'm like, yeah, we are. But my whole thing is no matter what we do, I always like to put Jesus in front of it so they understand that even though, like, we're doing it so we can preach to them, like, they, they know the motive is clear. I want the motive to be obvious, not to be hidden. So it's like, hey, our church is giving away some hot dogs. Come on over here. We want to hang out. That, that's kind of clear, right? They understand. So it's not like, hey, we're just giving out hot dogs. You know, who are you? You know, well, well you'll find out when you come and eat, you know. And then they eat, you know, and it's like the secret witness, you know, thing. Uh, I've heard people talk that way, but, you, you know, you're not going to get trained that way here. If you want to get trained that way, you can get trained that way somewhere else. But I don't do the secret witnessing. Uh, literally, it's funny because... I was with a guy, and uh, let me just back up and say this. I've seen probably every mode of evangelism you can think of. I got saved 18 years ago. This November will be 18 years. And within a few months, I was on the streets of Fort Wayne witnessing every week. My dad will tell you. And so I've seen super intense negativity, and then I've seen the so shy that they just never get to Jesus. And it was funny because um, I was partnered with this one guy, and he, he said, man, you're just coming too strong. You're coming too strong. So I said, okay, man, do it, do it your way. And uh, we walked up to some guys, and literally he just, like, walked up almost like he was hitting on them, you know. He was just like, hey, guys, so what's going on? What's happening? And then they were just talking, and he was like, yeah, so you want the, you know, I think it was New Orleans Saints. So you want the Saints to win? And literally the guy at the end of the conversation, this guy you know, just talking about the weather or whatever, just goes, hey, man, I got to run. And then he left. And then I looked at my friend. I go, you didn't even tell him about Jesus. 
this guy might have thought you were just like just wanting to talk to him about the saints. I mean, he didn't even know you wanted to talk about Jesus. I'm like, that is not our method. So obviously wherever Jesus was, people knew what Jesus was about. Okay. Now let me just say this. When you are on your job, when you're in school, when you're on the streets, there's different ways to do it. So you don't have to do it the same way that you do on the job, that you do on the streets. Are you guys with me? But let me just let me just help you understand this. If I because I've, you know, worked on jobs. If I'm going to have a conversation about God, I let them know. I say, oh, man, you want to talk about God? That's great. I just want to let you know I believe the Bible, and I want to show you some things. Can I do that? So I want to show you what I believe from the Bible. So at that point, on my job, wherever I'm at, they now know I'm taking the posture of when we begin to talk, I'm going to start quoting Scripture to you. It's not just going to be my opinion, your opinion, right? Okay, so that, that's just something to remember. When you're on the streets, when you're on your job, Whenever it is time to now engage the conversation, like I am talking about God, I'm not uh, uh, letting my light shine and then hoping you figure out where my light's coming from. And uh, what, what was that one guy who said, um, don't use words? And what, what was that guy who said that? Because, yeah, that's not the gospel. That's not right. Okay, so uh, preach the gospel and whenever necessary, use words or something. Can you find that quote for me, Andrew, please? Whenever necessary, use words. That's not biblical. You're not supposed to preach to people by just winking and smiling and being nice. Because Mormons are nice. Do you guys understand Mormons are nice? Uh, Jehovah Witnesses can be nice sometimes. Muslims can be nice. Jehovah Witnesses are a little ornery sometimes. But, you know, people can be nice. So here's the point. When I'm on the streets... I am not there to talk about the Cubs. I'm not there to talk about the Blackhawks. When I am on the streets, I am there to talk about Jesus. Now, I have been in the worst neighborhoods of Chicago, the worst neighborhoods of New Orleans, worst neighborhoods of Atlanta, worst neighborhoods of Oklahoma City. I've been all over the country in the worst neighborhoods, Oakland, and I have never been given a hard time by the people. You know why? Because they know exactly why I'm out there. Because I tell them I'm out here talking about Jesus. So if I walk, if we right now, we're going to go to the west side and we're going to walk into a, a, a neighborhood that's known for its violence and different things, nobody would mess with our church. Why? Because those are the church folk. They know who we are. They know what we're doing. So I like to have that same approach wherever I go. So if I'm standing out right out here in front of the church on the sidewalk, I'm talking about Jesus. That's what I'm there for. So as people are coming by, I got these in my hand because I just use this as a track. I always like to think of it. If I can't get a chance to talk to you, maybe you'll take the information. So I'll say something like, hey, man, you got a few. And, and, and Jared does this so perfectly. We spot them way down the road. So we don't wait till like, they're passing right by us to say hi to them. We, like, wait like so we can make eye contact, like, like a block away, literally. And I'll just be like, hey. And Jared's always the funny. You laughing so because that's where he got it from. Hey, there's my friend. That's what Jared likes to say. There's my friend. He's, like, looking at you all weird. But it's like. We get the attention, and you can do it your own way, but I'm just saying how we are, are trained here. Hey, man, what's going on? And so, like, they're coming right there, and, and they're walking. Jerry, would you just go stand right there and then come walking to me? Go back a little bit further because I want them to see how I do it, you know, so you guys get the, get the process. So come on. Dude, what's up, my man? Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? So, like, right there, he's going to do the. But so, like, right there, I want to I get his attention, right? So I'll, when you're at a Boricua Fest or a, a Mardi Gras or something where a lot of people are coming at you, uh, you know, you can literally just turn around and talk to somebody. You know, like if it was packed out there today, you could just be like, hey, what's up, man? Can I talk to you about Jesus? Hey, what's up? That's the way I like to do it so immediately they know what my intentions are.
Okay, Jared, is your mic on? Check, check. Okay, so you're ready to be the center. Can you come stand here in the middle, sir? Okay. Okay. Just got to get our acting hat on. Hey. Okay. Um, what's up, man? Can I talk to you about Jesus for a little bit? Sure. I, I, I got some time. Wonderful, wonderful. My name's Joe. I'm from the church right over here, Metro Praise. What's your name? Jared. Jared, nice to meet you, man. So what are you doing today? Uh, I'm going to the store right now. Wonderful, wonderful. Going to get something to eat, hang out with your family. Actually, going to get some smokes. There you go. Get some smokes. I used to smoke. Yeah. I used to smoke. I don't smoke anymore. Just smoking for Jesus. Hey. <laughs> hey, man. So you ever go to church? Uh, no, I'm not a religious guy. Okay, let's just pause right here. So what I like to do is I let them know I'm coming for Jesus, and I just make my small talk. But if you notice, I started the conversation about Jesus. So like, hey, man, you got a few minutes to talk about Jesus. He's like, yeah, I got a few minutes. Then it's like, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing? Now, some people, they, they like to cut that part out and just be like, hey, what's up, man? My name's Joe. Do you got a minute to talk? See, I don't prefer that method because especially in a city like Chicago, there's a lot of salespeople. Especially if you walk around the streets, those of you who do, you know, public transportation, you're on the bus, you're going to see guys in front of cell phone stores, you're going to see people selling their magazines, you're going to see people giving out coupons, uh, you, you know, there's always some type of thing going on. So, hey, do you got a second to talk? Chicagoans just block that right out. And uh, the Chicagoans, for those of you who are not here, are very much like New Yorkers. They will not look at you and make eye contact. So it's nothing like a, like a nod. You don't get a nod here from people. It's like they'll look right past you and just literally walk right by you. So... It's like, hey, what's up? Can I talk to you about Jesus? And then make small talk. Once again, this is just my personal style. So, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go back to our thing. Um, yeah, man, so we're out here talking about Jesus. To me, it's all about being born again, man. Have you ever been born again? Um, no, but I'm not into organized religion, you know. You know, I'm not either, to be honest with you, man. I'm not into organized religion in that sense, man. If you're talking about, like, maybe going to a church where they give you a bunch of do's and don'ts, is that is that kind of what you mean? Or Yeah, kind of, you know. Yeah. I, I, I try to get it on my own, you know. Yeah spiritual do you go to do you go to uh, any church like on the holidays easter christmas are you creaster not in a while not in a while do you believe in god yes you believe in god mm -hmm. now is this god that you believe in is he like a christian god like the framework father son spirit or is he just like a little bit of energy that comes in you the force like yoda like what god do you believe in well i, I believe in god but i don't know about the whole jesus thing. are you like, spiritual like spiritual like i'm spiritual no, no, no. Like, like you're just like, spiritual? Like, like you, you, you could pray and talk to God, but it's just... You ever read the horoscopes? You ever read the horoscopes? I do. You do read those. So you, so you think there's something else out there you can tap into. Like, yeah. is God just a force, or is God a person? Does God have a voice? Does God speak? Is there a plan? He, she, it, whatever it may be, does that God have a plan for your life? Right I, think, I think God's personal. So God's yeah. a personal God. Yeah. Okay. See, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about religion, you know, you and I are probably talking about... we are on the same page. They're like, I'm not into a bunch of do's and don'ts, people showing up just going through the motions. I'm talking about a relationship with the Creator God. And to me, what I believe the most important thing He wants us to be is born again so we can accept a relationship with Him. So you said that when you think about God, you think about a person, but do you think Jesus would be that person or in a relationship to that person? I think, you know, He's probably just one among many. Okay, so let's, that's good. Now, let's just pause right here. Um, and it's hard for him to do this because he's trying to think of what somebody else would think. But uh, you can get the idea. At this point, what they're going to do is share their beliefs. That's what they're going to do is share their beliefs. And I think that's usually the best thing you can do before you get into the have you been born again. Now, a lot of people who hear me talk about the born again thing, uh, 
don't realize that I do have small talk, and Jared has been with me many, many times. Do I not have a lot of small talk before we get to that? Yes, you do. Because what I'm doing is I'm building a framework to when I get to this born again. Because when I get to this, you guys will see this method born again. There's also the Roman road and different things. But this method of born again, it is locked tight. Once I get started in it, I go down that path. There is no way for them out of it except at the end to accept Jesus Christ or to acknowledge they're going to hell. So either they're going to say, I'm a Christian, I've accepted him, or they will accept him. So it's like a positive response, or it's negative. Because once I go down that track, there's no escape from it. So before I get them in the, the grips of that preaching, before they are held by the power of the gospel, I'm building up a framework with them. So the typical person that I would meet today, and maybe you guys would meet, would be Catholic, right? Roman Catholic. That would be the typical person. And so let's just go into that typical Roman Catholic thing. So... You're giving us kind of more agnostic, young adult, maybe what you were before you got yeah, saved. Yeah, I, I was tapping into my B.C. days. And that was great. That's a good place to come yeah. from. But you know well enough about the, the Catholic background, which is the majority of what we would see. So let's take it from there. So what do you think about Jesus, man? You know, I'm Roman Catholic. You know, I got baptized. Boom, boom. Has your priest talked to you about being born again? Uh, no, I haven't talked to him in a while. Okay, so you see what I did with the, the, the Catholic thing? I haven't talked to him for a while. Do they, do they teach you at the Catholic Church to be born again? No. No, they don't. So right there, he's going to share with me he's Catholic. I'm going to ask him that question, have you been born again, right? That's how I would go from there. But let's go back to the agnostic guy now, switching back and forth. Let's go to the agnostic guy. You're, uh, you just gave me an answer. He's one among many. Yeah. He, you know, there's, there's a lot of religions out there. I mean, we can't really know what's the right one. I want no. you to think about this, dude. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I told you right now, I am God. I am the way to God, and you can't get to heaven except by going through me. Would you think I was a good guy if I told you that? I I wouldn't trust you. You wouldn't trust me, right? Now, I want you to think about this. This real smart guy, C.S. Lewis, okay, he came up with this thought that we should think about when we just want to make Jesus one among many. Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Let me just explain this to you. When Jesus walked the earth, we got his words in the Bible, okay? Now, let's say you don't even take them as the words of God, but let's just say it's somewhat of an accurate description of who this man was. Right. Okay, so you may not even believe it's the word of God, but it's a description. This man is walking around telling people, I'm God. You know, people are worshiping him, declaring him to be God. And he's saying to them, I'm your good shepherd. Okay, so once again, if I told you I'm God and I'm your good shepherd, and I'm going to take care of your little sheepish soul and bring it to paradise, am I a good guy or a bad guy? Uh, If you can't back it up, you're a bad guy. Okay, so this is the idea. C.S. Lewis said it. Jesus was either a liar because he made those statements, right? And he's lying. So, like, he knows he's not God. He knows he's not the way, the truth, and the life. But what he did was project his lie on somebody else. But you said he was a good man. So liar is really not an option, right? Because a good man doesn't lie. Right. good man doesn't walk around telling lies. The other option is, is he's a lunatic, is that he believed he was God, that he did have a way to heaven, that he was your shepherd, but he was the equivalent of the guy who talks to himself on the L train downtown and smells like urine. Now, this guy, he thinks what he's telling you is true, but he's actually a lunatic. He's lost his mind. Now, if that guy on the train smelling like urine says, I'm God, do you believe that guy? I don't Do you that consider guy. that guy a good guy? Is he babysitting your kids today? Oh, no way. Okay, he's not babysitting. No we way. call that guy a lunatic, right? We pray for him. We hope he changes. We hope he changes, but he's a lunatic. But was Jesus a lunatic? No. So now ask yourself this question. If he did declare those things, and we know that he did, 
and he wasn't a liar or a lunatic. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. You can only but call him Lord now. This means it's true. He can't just be a good man because a good man is not a lunatic and he's not a liar. Isn't that something to think about? That's, that's, uh, never saw it that way. Right? What do you think about it? I mean, is he a liar, lunatic, or Lord? What would you say he is? Um, assuming, assuming the Bible's true, he's, he's Lord. According to that, right? Yes. Now, there's also Lord of the Rings and, and, and Gandalf and a lot of other yeah. books that have, have fi fictional figures, right? Right. But I want to give you something that he talked about that I think is the most important thing. It's about being born again. Now, let's just pause right here. Most people have skepticism about God today, right? So if you just jump into a born-again discussion, and some of you have watched uh, Way of the Master with Ray Comfort, The Law, Jumping into these kind of conversations I don't think are necessarily the most beneficial without laying down some groundwork. Because, um, say, for example, Ray Comfort, and I'll show you his method here in just a little bit. You can go to waythemasteribelieve.com. He has online videos of them witnessing. One of his methods is to get the people to understand he's a sinner. He actually bypasses all of the discussion that I was doing, other than the nice stuff, and he gets directly to, hey, have you ever told a lie? It's like, hey, what's going on? You want to talk about Jesus? Yeah, okay, let me ask you the question. Have you ever told a lie? And what does that make you a liar? And he'll go through all of that. And at the end of the day, they're like, well, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. The problem with that, because I've done that method and I've seen that method, is we live in a very skeptical generation, and so they'll go through the whole thing with you and admit they're a sinner and even admit by your words that Jesus would be the answer to that, but they still don't believe Jesus is any different than any other, you know, leader. So that thing that I just gave you, which is, the, which is called the tri-dilemma, try, everybody say tri-dilemma, it's just one of many ways that you just differentiate who Jesus is. That's why I like to do that. And, and most of the people who see me in those conversations see me do a little bit of apologetics because by the time I get to this born-again thing, I'm going to refer back to some of that. Because if he tries to wiggle out of the words of Jesus, I'm now going to say, what has changed from your opinion about Jesus? Is he changed now? Is he a liar or lunatic? And he goes, well, no, he's still Lord, but I just don't believe the Bible. And let's just, let us just jump ahead. I'm going to show you how to defend the Bible, okay? Uh, and then we'll go into what's the easiest thing to do, which is this card. But let me help to defend the Bible. So I'm going to show you some stuff from the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? No, I, I, I think it's just like I was saying about Jesus, probably one among many. One among books. many. So you would put yeah. it on the same level of Bhagavad Gita or Cat in the Hat with the Dr. Seuss. Where is it at? May, uh, the first one. Like more like a Bhagavad Gita, like somebody yeah. saying good things. That's you know, a Hindu like book, Quran by the way. Like that, the Quran. Yeah. So it's a good book saying good things, yeah. right? But do you think all books are good, like all have equal status? Well, I, I, it's hard to say. I think there's just a lot of books out there put out by people. Some are now, good, some are bad. Now, this is just a little bit of experience for me. What I do in that point is I go, have you ever read any of these books? Because I actually have, right? Now, for some of you who have not read them, you may say, have you ever studied any of these books? But if you don't feel comfortable in this, I'm going to give you a clear way to get around this. But since I've studied a little bit, I want to show you the way of the master. A little, you know, Mr. Miyagi up here, okay? So, uh, so have you ever read any of those books, the Quran? I have not read the Quran. Let me just tell you about the Quran. So it's written by a man 600 years after the time of Jesus who carried a sword and did a lot of violence, okay? A lot of people right now are wondering what's going on with Islam. This is true. Islam teaches this, okay? It says if the infidel doesn't repent to kill him, okay? Now think about this. Even if you say maybe not all Muslims are like this, but just think about this. Jesus never carried a sword, never killed anybody. Muhammad carried a sword, killed somebody. Now, do you think those books are giving the same message? 
Probably not. Probably not. Now, you know another part? Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery, and he said neither, you know, they wanted to throw stones at her and kill her, and that was good, you know. And that was like, hey, forgiveness, mercy, right? Like, imagine if that was like your sister. You wouldn't want her to get stoned, right? right. Okay? But in, in, in the Quran, they talk about stoning the woman. So who would you rather follow, Jesus or the Quran telling you to stone the woman? Jesus. Okay, now let's pretend he had a girlfriend right here. Now I'd say, there's a verse in the Quran that says, beat your wives, but beat them gently, okay? But gently, gently beat them. And I have this, by the way. Whenever I talk to Muslim, I got a book back there on Islam. I have this, okay? So, ma'am, this is all the same to you. It's all, you know, interfaith. Would you want him to apply that verse of the Quran to beat you gently? No, right? <laughs> now, you may like the part of 70 virgins and all this, but if we're talking make-believe, we might as well talk about... Oceans full of syrup and jam and jelly and, and, yeah. and floating on uh, cotton candy clouds. But, but let's just assume that you're saying they're coming from the same origin, right, mm -hmm. like God? Well, Jesus is saying, forgive your enemy. He's saying, kill the infidel. Jesus is saying, don't stone the adulterer. He's saying, stone the adulterer. Jesus uplifted women. This, this man is saying it's okay to beat women. And then now you look at the track record of these two religions. You can see where they're going. Christianity does more charity than anybody else. Christianity, when people do it right, they're the kindest people. But for people to follow the Quran, they have to do it opposite to be kind. Meaning, if you follow the Quran, you become a bad person. You follow Jesus, you become a good person. You can only become bad by following, what, uh, by doing the opposite of what Jesus said. Okay, now I'll do that with Islam. Now watch, I'll give them another story. Say it's New Age, you know, and they're like, man, I'm into New Age. I'm like, dude, you, you know Krishna, Harry Krishna? Yeah. You think he's like Jesus, right? Good guy. Like they're hanging out, like Jesus, like Christ, Krishna, they might yeah, be the I have same guy. Yeah, like that. Yeah, right, they coexist, right? Yeah. They all coexist. Okay, now I want you to think about this. One time, Krishna, he comes down. In the form of a man, he's a blue man, you know, that first original blue man. He comes down, he's blue, he sees maidens bathing, he then takes their clothes, runs up into a tree to play a trick on them. Then the naked women come out of the, the water looking for their clothes, and he has them chase him around while he has their clothes. Now, you may not have heard that story, but I can show it to you right here. I've read it, trust me, I've got some of these writings. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Doesn't sound like Does Jesus. it sound like Jesus took Mary Magdalene's clothes and ran around with them I, and had her running I, I naked? I read the Da Vinci Code. Read the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Then that's that's good fiction, you know that. Now think. Okay, watch. Let's go into the Da Vinci Code, and this will be the proof of the Bible. Okay, so um, I read the say something like I read the Da Vinci Code. I think the Bible is not accurate or something. Yeah, I mean Da Vinci Code totally. It's a Roman Catholic conspiracy. You know? Yeah, the Bible. You is, know right? Jesus. Yeah. Now I want you to think about this. Yeah. Think about the Bible, right? When the Da Vinci Code came out, what they want to tell you is that the Bible was captured in its entirety by the Roman Catholic Church. And that eventually what happened was what the Roman Catholic Church didn't want, they erased. And what they wanted, they added in, right? That's the idea. They're making a conspiracy. Right. Okay. What if I told you right now modern archaeology is finding manuscripts of the Bible that predate the ones that we've ever had? Right now we're finding manuscripts like the Dead Sea Scrolls were the oldest Old Testament manuscripts we ever had. They went to 400 B.C. So you're talking Da Vinci is alive in the Middle Ages, and you're saying all this conspiracy is happening, and we're finding documents, antiquity, that predate him, and they match up with what we have. Now, some people said the book of John, because it makes Jesus God, and he's all awesome in that book. You've heard of the book of John, right? Right. They think that book was made up because it makes him out to be God. So this idea is like as it went on, the, the legends, they made Jesus God. Do you know that John is the oldest manuscripts we have right now in our museums? And it dates back 
to before 90 AD, our oldest papyri we have of John. So think about this. If anybody ever had the Bible and they made changes to it out of their own political whims, we now have manuscripts that predate when those Catholics had the Bible. So how would they have been able to change the scrolls that are just being discovered in caves now? I think, I think you, got a, you got a point there. You Who know? said that was I'd good? Have, I'd have to... Uh, I want to know. Let's just pause. Who said that was good? Don't be shy. Come on. Somebody give a hand clap for that. He caught it. He caught it. I guess I'd have to look that up some more. Right? So you're thinking people corrupted the Bible. Just to summarize, you're thinking people corrupted our Bible. But I am telling you there are manuscripts older than every time you point to corruption. You think King James corrupted the Bible? I have manuscripts older than King James. You think the Roman Catholic Church in 500, 600s corrupted the Bible like Muslims teach? I have the manuscripts before that. We have manuscripts within 50 years of Jesus' life that have been found just in the last 50 years. And they match up to what we have today. Does everybody understand that argument? So the argument is simple. The Bible hasn't been corrupted. So what you're having now is the most accurate thing. And some of you are thinking to yourself, do I have to understand and memorize all of this? You don't, but this is what will help you earn and gain trust with them as you talk to them. Simply going into the born-again message is wonderful, but some people are going to have questions that they're hearing on YouTube and they're hearing from their college courses if they took a comparative religion. And so what I just want to recommend those of you that are here in our church, is to join the 201, get the 201 book, where we actually outline all these arguments, do we not? Yes, we do. So we actually outline these arguments in the book, backed up with the theological insight. Amen? And in the book as well, we resource you to other places. So you can go as deep as you want. But never be at the mercy of these people with arguments, because now we're going to go back to a testimony. Okay, and I'm going to show you how to pull the conversation around. If you get stuck, okay, so let's pretend you didn't know what I knew about these things. Um, so you're going to say to me, uh, say something like, um, say like I was reading this article about Bart Ehrman, and he was talking about there's more variants in the New Testament than there are words. Say something like that, please. Yeah, you know, there's... Just guys like Bart Ehrman. You heard of Bart Ehrman? Yeah, I've heard of Bart Ehrman. You read misquoting Jesus? I tried. I tried too. <laughs> but from what I, from what I got, there's there's a ton of, uh, of of errors. And then there's the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Judas. There's all these different gospels. These, uh, how can you really know? There's just so much to to sort through. Dude, that's a good question, right? That is a good question, man. I don't know that. I don't know Bart Ehrman. I'll tell you what, man. We can talk about that later. But what I want to do right now is talk about being born again. Okay, there you go. Do you guys understand what I just did? I gave you a little miniature lesson in apologetics, some things that you can go back and research. This is good stuff. But let's say you don't know that today, and somebody blasts you with a question that's just deeper than where you're at. What did I just say back to him? What did you get me saying to him? I am not going to discuss that because I don't know. But what I can discuss is this right here. So we've been taking the Catholic agnostic position uh, Let's start it from the beginning. We're going to run full force through this. And um, I'm going to mention the Bible. And you mentioned back to me that Da Vinci Code thing. And I'm just going to skirt around and going to be born again. Okay? So let's just go right from the beginning. What's up, baby? My name's Joe. How you doing? Uh, hey, uh, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. This is a weird guy. Tickly, you're so cute. <laughs> hey, man, we're just talking about Jesus. You got a few minutes? 
Yeah, I got a few minutes. You got some time? Where were you headed, man? Uh, to the store. Heading to the store. What are you going to do? Get something to eat, hang out with the family? Get some smokes. Get some smokes, man. I used to smoke. Yeah. I'm smoking for Jesus, man. Yeah, man. Hey, man, I want to talk to you about a few things, man. Basically, my heart being out here is I just love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I love people. I want the whole world to know about this awesome message, man. So can I give you this right here? I just want you to take a look at this. Man, do you believe the Bible? What do you think about Jesus? Uh, Jesus was a good man. He's good? Yeah. What do you think about the Bible? Because I want to show you some stuff here in the Bible. Well, you know, you know, you know the Bible. It's they got all these extra books that are not in there and. Vinci code and all that. I, yeah. I I don't really don't know how much I trust it. Really, you know what? I don't know much about what you're talking about there. I didn't watch the Da Vinci Code. You know what I'm saying? And I just trust the Bible. So I'll tell you what. If you got any questions like that, man, you can come back and see my pastor or one of our guys at the church. But you know, what I want to tell you, I used to be on drugs, man. I was a high school dropout, dropped out at age 16, sold and did drugs. I was arrested eight times by the time I was 18 years old. But Jesus Christ changed my life. My mother led me to the the Lord, helped me understand Him at the kitchen table. Now, today, I'm happily married, serving God, and I'm out here sharing this with you. So, dude, if you got two seconds, man, I can show you this, man. Is that okay? Yeah. And if you got questions, we can talk about that later, right? We're not, sure. I sure, can give you my enough. number, Facebook, whatever. Yeah. So, read that uh, first scripture for me, man, because that's Jesus talking right, right there. there. Yeah, John this three. guy right here, man. Please read that. All right. Um, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. So what I do here, when I'm in the born-again spirit, you guys see how I made that so simple? Let's say you didn't understand the questions, bam, I'm just about being born again. Let's talk about this. I have them read it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I love to have them read it because it gets them to concentrate on what we're talking about. Oh, they're like, man, I don't feel like reading. That's okay. But most of the time, they'll do it. And what it does is you'll see it gets them to take serious what they're doing. And now let's just pause. If you're with your coworker at work, and you're on that lunch break that you've taken them out to to bless them, and now you're talking about God, you could say, hey, man, man, just read this verse right here. You can slide the Bible over to them because them getting engaged is better for them at that moment. Dude, take a look at that. So what did Jesus say you had to do to see the kingdom of God? What did he say? Be born again. That's it. Once again, see, I'm asking them questions. I'm engaging them. So what did he say, man? What did he say you have to do? Be born again. Have you ever been born again? Don't no. Think Do you even so. know what it is? No. And you could probably say, you know, Catholic might say at this point, well, I think it's being baptized, right? Maybe you could say that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've heard of people get baptized, have life-changing experiences. But... You know, that that's close. Being baptized is close, but this is something that precedes baptism. Mm -hmm. Now, think about this. When were you born? What's your birthday? Uh, 1987. 1987. What day? Just in case I want July to get you 23. something. July 23. What size shoes do you like? What clothes do you like? Size 13. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So if I wanted to get something for your birthday, I could get you something, you know. Yeah. So 87, and you were born on what day? July 23rd. July 23rd, 1987. Now, for you to be born that day, did you do any work? Did you, like, put a lot of effort into that day being born? Did you help your mom out? Not that I know no, of. I don't no, even right? remember. And no. then, like, nine months before that, when you got conceived, you weren't even there, right? No. Okay, so you came out because of what someone else did. This is what the Bible is saying. You need to have that done again, but this time spiritually. Do you believe in spiritual stuff? Yeah. Like, you, you know, stuff that you can't see, like that, like stuff that lasts forever, maybe heaven, hell, angels, demons, spiritual stuff. You think you're, you're spiritual? Yeah, I, yeah I, I believe that stuff. Okay. So we're talking about spiritual stuff. you got to be born again spiritually. Yeah. Now, read that second verse for me, please. Okay. Uh, John three sixteen. Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Okay, so what do you have to do to have eternal life? What does it say? Whoever believes in him. him. Who do you think that him is right there? Jesus. Boom. So Jesus is the son that God sent, right? Right. And so if you believe in him, you get eternal life. But what happens if you don't believe in him? What's the last thing it says? But they will what? They shall not perish. They shall not perish. So if, if you believe in Jesus, you won't perish. Mm-hmm. But what happens if you don't believe in Jesus? What do you think would happen? If I don't believe in Jesus. If you Jesus, don't believe in Jesus. So if I have to believe in Jesus not to perish. Well, I, will, I would perish. You would perish, right? Yes. Here's the deal. Being born again is not an option. Mm-hmm. If you want to have eternal life, you have to be born again. Mm-hmm. Do you think you need to be born again? Well, I'm an okay guy. Okay, you do pretty good. Yeah, you, you don't know, hurt people. I, you know, I pray. You know. Yeah. yeah. You don't make too many mistakes in life. Like I, if I, I, was mean, to, I made mistakes. Like if I was wrong. to give you a scale right now, like like here's Mother Teresa and here is Hitler. Like where would you be, Mother Teresa, Hitler? Would you be in the middle, close to Mother Teresa, close to Hitler? Like where would you uh, be on that uh, scale? Probably in the middle. It's right in the middle. Maybe the sixtieth percentile. Like, like an okay guy. Yeah. Like I'm you're an okay, okay guy. guy. So you want to take the good person test with me real quick? Uh, sure. Now, this is where I implement the way of the master. But I, you see, I implement it here to show them that they need to be born again. But I didn't lead in with that because I want them to understand the process of being born again. So let's take a good person test. Have you ever told a lie? Um, yes. Now, don't lie right now, right? You don't uh, want to do I, that. I did, yeah. So have you told a lie before? Mm-hmm. Now, what do we call people who tell lies? Uh, liars. Liars, right? Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you, even if it's small, just something, you know, anything? Yeah, right? What do, we, what do we call people who take stuff that don't belong to them? Uh, thieves. Thieves. You call them thieves, right? Now, here's the one that always gets me. gets a lot of people on the streets. Guys, we can understand this. Do you ever look at somebody you're not married to and have lust in your heart? Be like, man, I want to get it on with that person. Let's keep it real, right? Could be the same sex. Could be the opposite sex, right? Now, <laughs> think about this. Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? You ever, have you ever got upset and said the name of Jesus or God's name and it wasn't for good things. It was because you were upset. You were mad. Yeah, I've done that. Now, what do we call somebody who uh, takes the name of the Lord in vain? Do you know what that one's called? Uh, a cursor. A cursor, blasphemer. Uh-huh. And, and the one that we say that lusts in their heart, we call them an adulterer. Because Jesus said if you do that and that's not your wife, that's like adultery. Because that's somebody's wife or, or going to be somebody's wife mm-hmm. or, or you're going to be somebody's husband. So you're cheating on something that's not – you're taking something that doesn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, here's the last one. Have you ever looked at what somebody else had, and you were like, man, I wish I had what they had? Like, man, yeah. I, I wish I had. You know what the Bible calls Probably. that? Probably. Does that make you? you have any idea? Mm-hmm. Coveter. Coveter. Coveter, right? We see in rap music, this is like normal. Look at me, I got gold. Look at me, I got a car. Mm-hmm. You know, entertainers. Look at me, I got a big house, MTV cribs. You know what the Bible calls all that? Mm-hmm. Covetousness. It's a sin. And then think about this. Good person test. Mm-hmm. According to your own confession, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're an adulterer, you're a blasphemer, and you're a coveter. Wow. If you stood before God and he was judging you on the commandments, and I just gave you five out of the ten. The other one was obey your parents. You ever disobeyed your parents? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, ever, you ever not go to church on Sunday, not honor the Lord's Day, break the Sabbath as it's called? Yeah. Yes, you obviously do, right? And have you ever put anything before God, whether it's an idol, your TV, the Blackhawk game, your job? Have you ever did something before God? Oh, Probably. Of course, yeah. right? Because you're not even right now sure if you love God, right? And this, they're really open at this time to what's going on. Now, that is the faith that you would have. And the Bible goes on to say in John chapter 3, and you can see this at home if you go and read it, but it says because of these things, sins, breaking the commands of God, you're already guilty right now. Wow. 
you're already perishing. Now, do you understand why Jesus said it was so important to be born again? Yes. Because if you believe in him, you will not perish. But if you're not believing, you're already perishing. And what do you think that means to perish? Where do you think you would go, heaven or hell? I actually do believe in hell. There you go. You would be there for a long time. How long do you think eternity is? Now think about this. You see what I'm doing? As I'm giving them stuff to think about that most people don't. See, I'm just asking them questions. A lot of this is rhetorical questions. How long do you think hell is? Do you want to go to hell? Now, at this point, if he didn't understand a thing about the law, I would get into this example about going to court. And I would say about parking tickets, for example. Because they may say, well, I tell little lies. And I, I lost, but I don't hurt anybody. I say something very simple like this. If you get a parking ticket once a day for your whole adult life, let's say from 20 to 80 years old, that's 60 years, and you get one a day, and you stand before the judge, and you now have thousands of parking tickets, do you think a judge is going to say to you, hey, you can keep driving? No. Even little things added up over time become big things. So I explained that to them, and then the second thing I explained to them is, you remember the story in the Bible? And they go, uh, Adam and Eve, and, they, and I go, do you remember that? They go, yeah, I, I think I do. I go, what did they do wrong? Did they kill somebody? Did they murder? What did they do wrong? And then they'll normally say, like, man, they ate an apple, right? They did something they weren't supposed to. Yes, they disobeyed God one time, and did they get to stay in paradise? No. So one sin can get you kicked out. You've done many. And then I say, do you think you sin more than one time a day, even if it's little? Come on. You sin more than once a day. You have thousands of things against you. God is going to be a good judge. Now read the last one for me, sir. We'll close it up. Take some questions. First John 3, 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So what can't the person do who's been born of God? What, the, what can't they, they keep going on doing? Sinning. Sinning. What do you think that means? Right, the things we just talked about. So you need to be born again, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and live a different life. You can't keep on sinning. And maybe you could say something like, you know, well, doesn't everybody sin? We're all not perfect. No, nobody's perfect. I, I just don't see myself never you know, sinning again. Everybody sins. Everybody sins right now. So, so if I, how many times would I be able to slap you in the head and tell you I'm sorry? Before you would walk away from me. I mean, how many times do you think I could do I wouldn't that? walk away from you. I'd probably you, jump on you. You'd probably get it on, right? You'd beat me up. You'd beat yeah, me up, right? Probably after the first How many times could your friend sleep with your girlfriend or your wife before, and keep saying they're sorry before you would say, I'm going to stop being that guy's friend? Uh, the, the first time it's over. Okay, so what, why do you think God uh, is different than people? You know, we say God is all forgiving, God's all loving. Mm. But are we saying that God actually doesn't expect us to change? So you would expect God to accept you doing things that you wouldn't even accept a guy, a person down the road doing? This is not the God of the Bible. This is what he said. He said, be ye perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. He said in the Old Testament, be holy, for I am holy. Peter repeated that same thing. And that scripture you just read, John, is from the, gospel, or the same writer of the Gospel of John. And what he says is if you claim to know him and yet you don't do what he says, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. So let me show you the difference real quick. Me and my wife are married, right? But we made a covenant not to cheat on each other and not to abuse each other and not to do those things. Now, in my relationship with my wife, have I always treated her the way I was supposed to? No. Sometimes I treat her the way I'm, you know, I get upset with her. But I don't break that covenant. 
Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you can break a covenant with God by the continuing of your sin. See, I believe that. So I take sin very serious. So can God forgive me a sin? Yes. And can a Christian sin? Yes. But if I have the heart to keep on sinning, and I'm telling him this is okay, this is what the Bible says, Hebrews 10, 26. If I go on willfully sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, there's therefore no more sacrifice for my sins, but only a terrifying judgment that will come when he comes back. So if you want to live for God, should you love sin or hate sin? Hate sin. Okay. And if you get born again, who do you think will help you quit sinning? God. God, because he makes you new. You're a new person. That's the idea of what we're talking about. So I didn't change myself from being a high school dropout to this great awesome Christian. Jesus Christ changed me. I was born a sinner, born again a saint. I was made a new creation. Remember, just like your parents made you, and look at the nose that you have. You didn't make that. Christ made me righteous, and by his strength I live for him. And if I stumble and fall, I get back up, and I hate that sin. That's what he's talking about. Do you want to be born again? You want to do this? Yes. Bam. That's it. There it is. Um, any questions? Any questions? And I'll have Jared answer the questions. Come on, let's get some questions out quick. I know you guys have some. I would um, refer them to his disciples, that his disciples wrote the Bible, and they were eyewitnesses, and they memorized his teachings because that was the custom of that time. So... Their words were, I would say, they're trustworthy. Well, you could go two routes. You could pray with them, or uh, you could, this is what I sometimes do. You, I'll give you the, two, the first one. You, you pray with them, um, what we call the sinner's prayer, and usually it's something that, that, I, the evangelist, would initiate, and I say, listen, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to pray. Usually, however, people are very awkward, and then it's like I pray, and then it's like really quiet because they're like mumbling to themselves or something, and they don't, or they don't know what to say, and they feel really awkward. Um, but we should expect any time we're out there that people would be so radically moved by the message that they would pray, that they would call on God. So I think we should always open the door for that with a sinner's prayer or what I tell people is listen you got to make it right with God you know the truth don't let this day pass by I suggest you take some time out go home right now and you and the Lord confess your sins and ask him to change you and then come to church amen we don't um, in our church we don't uh, push the sinner's prayer for those of you who are familiar with that that's not our method but we do help people to pray so when, like, like in this example, as you guys were going out witnessing, if someone said, I want to be born again, most of your street leaders would lead them in a prayer of some kind. Uh, like what Jared said, I usually just lead them in a confessional prayer, like almost like our creed, which is like Jesus, I believe you raised from the dead and all of that. And then I look at them and then I say, now you have to pray from your heart and I'll listen to you pray and I'll just be here in agreement with you. So you pray now, you pray something to God. So I have a big pet peeve with, you know, a lot of people having uh, others say the sinner's prayer and then saying that they're saved because uh, we can get anybody to repeat that, you know, especially the, the way you can uh, kind of 
share it with people. It's almost like, do you want a million dollars in a yacht and a house in Boca Raton? Yeah. Okay, say this with me. I am, I am a pickle, and I do this. I mean, they'll say whatever you tell them to say. So, so for me, it's like, it's like, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to have a good life? Do you want... Do you want ice cream every day? Do you want Jesus to tickle you when you're sad? Okay, and I'll say this magical prayer. That's why if you notice in our church services, I don't do that either. You guys notice in our church services? It's just not our habit because to me it's you pray. You pray. Someone's up here who will help you pray. Do you, do you get that? And you'll never really see that pattern in the Bible. You'll never see the Apostle Paul going, now everybody repeat after me. I don't have anything against it because my mother used it to lead me to the Lord. And, and she helped me to speak a confession of faith. But when you track out that day of my salvation, it was really when I went home and got the Bible that she had given me after we had prayed, and I started to read it, weep, and then confess my sins, like name them and call out to God that I genuinely received salvation. And that's when the devil got mad, started manifesting, and I saw demons in the mirror, you know, and then I went home and had to be cast out by my dad. Um, so I don't, you know, guys use the sinner's prayer, but if you want to be what I would call like an expert evangelist, if you want to grow in the gift of evangelism, I think we should always be the most like the disciples. And the disciples were simply telling them, repent. They asked him, what must we do to be saved? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So we'll say, you know, hey, if you want to be born again, let's pray. You, got, you want to pray? Okay, I'll help you out. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Died on the cross. Okay, well, okay, now you pray. Repent of your sins, man. Tell them what you want. Tell them, tell them, what, tell them what this means to you. And if you're like, man, I'm a little shy, I'm like, okay, well, that's what he's saying. You need to go home and do that. You need to do that at some point. You, know, you, need to be, you need to confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. So here in our church, never feel bad if you lead somebody in a prayer like that. It's okay. It's a good habit to start with. It's just we want to teach you, as I am now, to help them to go beyond that. Go beyond that. And also, if you remember the Bible, being filled with the Spirit happened on the streets as well. And uh, who is Rachel? Rachel had somebody baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, she's out probably with her child last uh, year at the Boricua Fest. Saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in other tongues right there on the streets. Sounds like Jesus to me, right? Sounds like the disciples. Okay, let's keep going. Let's get some more questions, and we're going to turn this man loose to preach. Yes. Um, you turn the other cheek. Yeah. Well, you, you obviously you don't uh, you don't get on their level of being belligerent or rude or using bad language or threatening. That is unchristian. And if that's a weakness for you, like let's say you're a baby Christian, maybe you come out of a background where, you know, you're used to fighting and conflict, you need to step away as soon as possible. You need to deflect that to someone who's more mature. If you are somebody who can handle that sort of thing, then just calmly say, okay, man, sorry, we're moving on. I, I avoid those people. And I've only, and you're talking, man, almost 18 years of street ministry, I've only had that happen like two times. And both of them were at Mardi Gras. Uh, just, you know, the French Corps, totally belligerent people. And let's just take a survey here. I mean, out of those of you witnessing in our church, have you guys been threatened witnessing? Sid, where were you threatened at? Okay, what did he say?
Okay? So there's there's a time you can get persecuted. What about uh, you good, sir? Yes, when did you get persecuted? Yeah. So would you say, both of you, would you say those are rare, or would you say that's quite common? For you it would be rare. What about you, Sid? So it's, it's not rare for you. What about you? Is persecution rare for you, or does it happen a lot? It depends on where you go. Yeah, like give me an example. Boys Town and Wrigleyville. There you go. Yeah, it's it's more likely that people will shout in your face. Well, we were we were surrounded by mobs one time in Boys Town, and they were yeah. shouting, Adam and Steve, Adam, Adam and Steve. Steve. Really? Yeah. So. Dude, I don't know what it is, man. I I just I live. I might live in a bubble. I don't know. But I feel like I get persecuted the least then. I don't have a lot of persecution stories. My friends have gotten punched and all of that. You know, I I don't get persecuted that much. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just I've gotten yelled at a few times. Like I said, most of the time they were belligerent. But uh, what were you going to say? Yes. throwing stuff at you. So it can happen. I guess there's people who have it happen more than others. So uh, what was the question basically? It's like, how do you react? Just turn the other cheek and love them. I've never had to get into a fight. And did you anybody here have to fight them? Has anybody here had to fight somebody being on the streets? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 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 I mean, it can happen, yeah. It's awesome. I mean, you got free. You get, you know, the only the times that I've been assaulted where people have tried to do that was when I was street preaching, uh, but I was making a lot of noise. It was Mardi Gras. But when I what, what I'm just referring to is the witnessing, yeah. But people can act that way, you know. And I'm not trying to say, like, I'm a he-man, you know, but maybe I'm a little bigger than the average guy. I don't know. Maybe they look at me, and they're like, dude, this guy don't look that saved. You know what I'm saying? Because you look like a nice father. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, in my experience, you know, it just does You've You've been with me for how long? I mean, have you ever even seen me been in those situations? What's the one I've that seen I, people get upset at you. When was last time? When was the last time you saw them? I can't even remember. Jog my memory. Oh, there was an older, older white fellow. He was shouting that you know we should kill all the Christians. I, I, not that he was threatening you, but he, he wasn't was threatening me. He was being belligerent. Yes. Now I've had people be belligerent. Okay. Because oh, hold on, before we get into that, I've, I want to differentiate, okay? Because we have friends that are overseas that minister in third world countries, and you know, I like to make sure that we're differentiating persecution, right, from being uncomfortable or something. So maybe that's maybe. You know, I should qualify. Have I been called names? Oh, yes, I've been cussed at and all that. What I, what you were talking about is when somebody gets, 
I thought you said the word violent or physical or uh, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to discern what's disrespectful. I guess that guy was getting disrespectful. I don't take it like that. I mean, because sinners are sinners. That's it. That's yeah. all they know. But all the times you've been out with me, other than that one guy screaming, other than that guy, which I can't remember. I, I can't think of anybody, you know, trying to throw a punch at me. Yeah. You know, yeah, just a lot of, lot of belligerence. Though. A lot of belligerence. Yeah. Especially if you're out at Party Town and all that. And Nancy, man, Nancy and I used to go every Friday and Saturday night to Belmont Clark for three years. And I can't even remember any one time that anybody even got upset with us over there. It happens, though. It happens. I had a guy take a bite out of a, a, a beer can one time and chase me down. So, I mean, <laughs> but that's another story. That's, that's like I said, that's, that's, I've, I've had some demons manifest. I've had some different things go on before. But uh, like I said, those who were at Mardi Gras, those were in the middle of some crazy stuff. Those are different stories. I just want you guys to feel love. Okay, uh, I'm sorry to move past this, but let's go past the persecution. Let's go to another question. Yes. How are you doing? You're still living for Jesus? That's it. You know, and, and you know them well enough to kind of follow up on situations. It, it depends on the person, you know, so you're not going to have a a script because you know that person. You know what I'm saying? You're not just going to have a go-to script. You're going to know that person. You'll know what, what they were going through. How you doing? Are you going to church? Are you living for Jesus? Are you still in that relationship? So on and so forth. Ask them specific questions to meet her where they're at. Are they flourishing spiritually or are they drowning spiritually? And then uh, say, hey man, you know, uh, just urge them to, to repent. you got to make that right with God. You can't live like that. don't anymore yeah <laughs> after the beer can guy i don't do that i'm totally with you on that no i, I don't do you how do you react to that i don't really do nah, that. it doesn't go anywhere no they, they don't really comprehend yeah it. and when we're talking about mardi gras too you know a lot of the people are in a place that they can talk the ones that are like full-on drunk crazy yeah, i don't i don't talk to them i just say hey, keep going keep going yeah okay anybody else let's knock them out get some questions yes Bible says, do not throw your pearls to swine. You have permission to call him a pig and walk away. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You, have to. you know what? Oh, man, some of the most frustrating arguments have been people. Yeah, people will argue. They, they are, they're not seeking to learn. They're not seeking truth. They just want to argue and put you down. I've met some very mean and condescending people, some very fruitless conversations. And uh, conversations, I wish I, I ducked out 10 minutes earlier, you know. So you, you try to figure out, are they seeking truth or do they just want to argue? And if they're seeking, continue. If you get that sense, if they're arguing, just leave them. And a little bit off subject, but I, I came up with a funny memory while we were talking here. So, Ellen, didn't you guys cast out a demon that one time we went to New Orleans? Was that, was that you and Berto or was that you and Jared? Whose team was that? That's right. Where's Bertsky? Bertsky, dude, come on over here, man. Tell the story really quick, really quick, man. Bourbon Street, casting out demons. Oh, it was a good one. 
It was a good one. About Kevin? Yes, Kevin's. Oh, boy, yeah, that took a long time. That was like a exorcism. We felt like priests. Just kidding. No, but um, uh, I think Susie would be better telling the story. I think she remembers. She, you shared it quite a bit. I, I, I forget. You want to share it, Susie? Um, I just want to say this for you guys who are new here, okay? Man, all of these guys put in their time under my, like, craziness, man. Oh, we were so crazy. Remember, did we do the swing open the van and street preach from the van? Did we do yeah. that? You guys yeah. all had to street preach like that? Yeah. So all of you guys now who are like, why don't I see Joe out here all the time? Why don't I see Joe? It's because I feel like this is their time, man. Like, they were with me for so many years. For me now, I'll just be honest with you, for me, and Jared will tell you this because, like, I beg him to come with me now so we can just go out. Like, I'm like the old, like, Vietnam vet witnesser now. Like, I just, I just kind of mosey along. I just pat the children on the head. I just say, ah, oh, can I talk to you? Am I telling the truth? Like, I'm not that guy anymore, but, oh, man, we used to swing open the vans while we're driving, swing open the van, preaching, Jesus loves you, repent or perish. We would park in front of stores and then just do a bum rush. Oh, my gosh. And then I just remember, we had the blow horn. And I just remember one time, and she's going to tell the story, I just remember looking down the road on Bourbon Street, and they were Shay, Tay, and Sheik, a boom a person getting demons cast out. Come on. Yes. Um, this person was under the influence. We saw them, like, um, for a couple of nights while we were out there. Then the last night we were there, um, he would always come to us, but his friends would always pull him away from us. And so this one night we just kind of made a circle around him, started praying. He was manifesting, took hours. But in the name of Jesus, he was set free. And we um, actually, before all of that happened with him, we realized we knew the church that he was a part of so he was like a backslider and we had already connected with his church so we keep in touch through facebook and he's living for jesus yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's keep going some questions a few more few more anybody you have a question okay Yeah, that's um, that's a great question, and what I've been in counseling people to do lately is to get uh, too close for comfort with people. The uh, the preacher Charles Finney would talk about specific sins, and so you got to put them in a corner that they can't get out of. Now, if they can dodge and, and, and evade what you're saying, and maybe they're just in denial, maybe they are lying, maybe they really are born again, but you would, you would ask questions about their life, about things that they do, about their activities, about their relationship with God that could almost kind of put them in a corner. But you want to be careful, too, because... Um, I recall you were you're talking about sharing at a KFC. Yeah, that's what I was laughing yes. about. You can share the story, Doug. Yeah. Well, well, he was witnessing at a at a at a KFC, and he was asked, "Do you read your Bible every day? Do you go to church three times a week? You do all this?" And then his and then his friend turns to him and says, "Listen, if she's not saved by those standards, I'm not saved either, because because I don't do all that stuff." Yeah. Like the ones I like is like, are you in sexual immorality? Are you being faithful to your church? Are you putting God first? 
Yeah, those th those are some key questions. Find the key questions, the, the big stuff. Are you living in yeah. sexual sin? Are you faithful to your church? Do you, do you hate anybody? Have yeah, and then the other good question is, are you, 100 per, are you ready right now to meet Jesus on Judgment Day? Are you 100% right with God? And if they say, no, and then they go down this road, nobody's perfect. And I just like to correct that theology as I was doing with Jared there. I always correct that theology. Uh, the cleansing, the perfect state, the holiness of the believer is to, is to be his normative state in Christ. Sin is like a pebble in your shoe. You should never want it. It should get out as fast as it came and just get it out. So this idea that sin is to be tolerated, that sin is to be expected. You know, Jesus said, lead me, we're to pray, lead me not into temptation. And then the Bible also says that in, in our temptation, he'll always provide a way of escape. So there's not one temptation you'll ever face that there wasn't a way of escape that you didn't have to sin. Amen? So we believe that here. So we really just want to emphasize that. Okay, let's do uh, three more questions. Let's knock them out quickly here. Let's do somebody didn't ask a question. Look at Adam doing the cool. Anybody else? Quickly, come on. I want the shy question. I've got all my staff asking questions. Come on. Like I want like Jessica to ask a question or something, you know. Yes, it's like, Pastor, what do you do when they say this? Okay, Leilani. I would retort something to the effect of, well, I think you're judging me by saying that I'm judging you. And, and, and then ultimately say, listen, I'm not judging you. If I were to judge you, it'd be, I, I would sentence you to hell. I'm simply saying what the Bible says, and your life clearly doesn't match what the Bible says. And so that's, that's why you feel judged, because I'm not judging you. God's word is judging you. Exactly. And then we got a lot of examples for that. If you're going 80 miles an hour and the policeman is in your car with you and you're driving 80 miles an hour and he tells you you are speeding, has he judged you? No, he has just simply stated the fact and he's given you what the penalty is going to be when you face the judge. We are here with you hearing what you're saying and we're simply telling you you're going to face court one day and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're writing you the ticket. The, the ticket is what the Bible says about you. This is what's going to happen on Judgment Day. But we're not the one making that judge uh, judgment. And then the Bible says, these words that I speak unto you, judge you, that my dad uh, shared with me the other day that I, that I had forgot. But also when it says, judge not lest you be judged, but you have to finish off that verse because it says, by the same standard that you judge, will you be judged by? So the idea of what he was speaking there is that the Jewish people were judging with their traditions, not the word of God. So if you didn't do these kind of washings, they would judge you and say you're not really right with God. But these things were not found in the Torah. And then they were saying, like, if you don't wear these big uh, phylacteries and things they were putting on their head, these decorations of sorts, uh, that, that you were not right with God. And so what Jesus was warning against was you making a judgment other than the judgment that he has made, because if you do that, by your standard, you'll be judged. So the obvious thing is, we're all being judged by God's standard. Isn't that right? So if somebody says, don't judge me, they're assuming that scripture, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Let me just teach you this real quick. If somebody says to you, don't judge me, are they assuming the Bible is true? Yes, because they've quoted the scripture to you. Think about this. Let's just take our time. It's not a trick question. When somebody says to you, don't judge me, or, and, and they maybe add, lest you be judged, but they say, don't judge me. Are they assuming the Bible? Yes. Because they're saying, Jesus told you not to judge me. 
That's what they're saying. Are you guys following with me? Um, when you're hearing that from them, you need to show them what Jared just said is the flaw in their logic is, first of all, you're judging me by you making that judgment. Does everybody get that? So then we say, if you're judging me and I'm judging you, which one of our judgments is right? Read the rest of what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, make the right judgments. He said that, make the right judgments. Will you find that scripture for me, please? Make the right judgments. So what we are saying to them is you judge and I judge. If, that's, if you're talking about impressions, if you're talking about what we think, ask them, when a babysitter comes, do you judge the babysitter uh, to your house on whether or not they'll watch your kids? If a babysitter comes and they're buck naked and whatever or carrying a machine gun, do you let them babysit your kids? Do you judge uh, the kind of people you do business with, where you shop at, okay? So by them saying to me, don't judge me, what they have just said is it's okay for me to judge, and I judge how you are, but it's not okay for you to judge me. What we then want to say is, who cares what I think? Who cares what you think? Let's go to the standard of where judgment comes from. And then this is that scripture. Do you have it, sir? Uh, phone's slow. Okay. Does anybody, uh, do you have it back there, uh, Andrew? Someone could just hand me a hard Bible. No, I got it. Okay. Quicker. If you can do it, I'll do it right here. It's in John 7, I'm sure. There it is. It is... Um, John 7, 24. Who has a Bible? Read it out for us, please. See if the preacher's telling you the truth. Okay. So if they're saying to me, do not judge, and they're making a judgment to me, and they're assuming that it's better for them to judge than it is for me to judge them, they are falling into the same trap of making judgments by appearances. But I ask them, to now judge their judgment. Is my judgment a judgment of an appearance or is my judgment a righteous judgment? Is their judgment a judgment of appearance or is their judgment a righteous judgment? Then what you see is they're the hypocrite. They're making judgments based on appearance. What they're basically saying is you're appearing here preaching to me, and I don't like you based on who you are and what you're saying, and I don't want to hear what you're saying. That's not a righteous judgment. They're judging that based on their interaction with me. They're not a righteous judgment. My judgment to them is not on how they look. It's not on what they're saying back to me, you know, their attitude, whatever. I am judging them by the word of God. So when they say they're in adultery, I'm judging them as an adulterer. When they say that they lie, I'm judging them as a liar. But as Jared was talking about, being the judge in that sense is not even happening because we're not making the sentencing. We're not judging them by a different standard. We're judging them by the right standard. And then we're not judging them, adding sentence to them. And if you wanted to take it one step further, you could ask them, are you putting a sentence on me? And they are because they're saying get the H out of here, get the heck out of here when they're starting to get mad like that. So actually, they themselves, by using that terminology, you can show them from the Bible that they are the one that Jesus is rebuking. They're judging by a false standard that is not in the Bible. They're judging by appearances, and they're trying to put a sentence on somebody. 
where we're doing none of those things. We're simply doing what the Bible told us to do. And that's a little bit deep for some of you guys. It gets into philosophy, but you should have paid attention to that because you will hear that, and I don't hear people repeat that back to me, and he's probably been with me as well. People will have you spinning, chasing your tail, and you'll try to apologize for what you're doing if you're not careful. And you'll say, well, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to tell you about Jesus. No, no, no. In one sense, you are. And if you're going to be truthful with them, you need to let them know. But they're judging you as well. So the decision needs to be whose judgment is right. Amen. And then um, in the same chapter, John 7, 7, Jesus is the original judger. Yeah. John 7, 7, the world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. See, that's the kind of judgment we're making. We're making a judgment based on righteousness on people's actions. And it's not by a mere appearance, nor is it done by a human standard. And you make judgments all the time. So you better make the right ones. There you go. We're not sentencing you. We're just giving you the judgment of heaven. Yes, go ahead. Yes, that's what he just said. He said that uh, I'm accusing the world. Jesus, see, here's the, here's the idea. For a man to repent of sin, he has to acknowledge his sin. How is somebody going to acknowledge their sin unless you tell them the judgment against their sin? So someone has to know there's a judgment against their sin. You have to be able to hear the judgment that God has spoken against their sin. You understand that? If someone says to me, I have not sinned, the Bible says they're a liar, right, in 1 John? The Bible uses this language. See, by the way, I evangelize according to the language of the Bible. I don't evangelize according to what you see on TV. Joel Osteen, God bless him, but he needs to use biblical language. We use biblical language, okay? Languages that are found from Jesus himself. Read that verse again if you could. But, but hear, hear the understanding. Someone who's saying to you, don't judge me, is a sinner. What have they assumed to tell you that? What have they assumed to tell you that? No, what have they assumed to say, don't judge me? Say it again. No, Adam. They're assuming the Bible's correct because they're trying to tell you in some way, I know I'm wrong, but I don't need you to tell me I'm wrong. Or they're trying to say, your definition of wrong is not my definition of wrong, so I'm going to use this scripture from Jesus to come against you, to say, basically, stop talking to me about my sin. Now, let's just say, I don't believe any of that Bible stuff, and you guys are just a bunch of judges. What are they assuming by making that statement? What are they assuming by saying, you guys are a bunch of judges. I don't believe in what you're saying. What are they assuming? They're assuming that there's a truth that you don't know and that they know. So the idea is they're saying something like this. There is no absolute truth. I don't believe in truth. Is that a truth? Is that true? Think about it. If somebody says to you, I don't believe in truth, it's like saying to you, I don't know how to speak a word in English. Understand this. You get what I'm saying? I don't know how to speak a word in English. Is that a true statement? No. If I say to you, I'm a married bachelor, is that a true statement? If I say to you, you're judging me, and I say to them, 
So that means you believe the Bible is true, that we shouldn't judge by uh, mere appearances or judge not lest you be judged for the same measure you judge by it, it will be given to you. Is that what you mean? If they say yes, I go the route of showing them. Let's see now who's making the right judgment because you just told me to stop talking to you. You're passing sentence on me. You're judging me by saying I'm judging you. Let's go to the Bible and see whose judgment is right. Let's see who's right according to Jesus. Do you understand that, that line of thinking? We're both caught in a sense of we're, uh, we're both believing the Bible and we're both calling each other wrong, and we're going to find out by the Bible who says we're right. Now, the other scenario, who is not a Christian, who says, man, I don't believe in God. I'm going to accuse them of sin. I'm going to do, did you find the scripture? Can you read it, please? The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. Okay, so he accused the world of doing evil. Do you accuse the world of doing evil? Does anybody here do that? I do. I'm not ashamed of that. Does anybody here accuse the world of doing evil? If you see somebody doing evil, do you accuse them of that evil? Do you think you're supposed to keep it to yourself? The Bible says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct rebuke, and with all long suffering, for the time will come when people will turn aside from sound doctrine and turn to those that, that want to tickle their itching ears, right? This is what we're talking about. So I accuse them of sin. Now, they're an unbeliever. So I say, do you believe John? Is that what you're trying to say? Are you using that standard against me of the Bible? Because we'll go to the Bible and find out who's right to judge the one, one each other here. They say, no, I don't believe none of that Bible stuff. So then what do you believe? I don't really believe in anything. So what you just said, is that a true fact? I don't believe in anything. Is that the truth? Because what you've just said is your truth is better than my truth. And by admitting that you believe in a truth, you have now judged me by your truth. And so both of us, once again, now are judging. And so we then have to show, de defend your standard. Where is your standard of truth coming from? You say, I don't believe anything. So who's the standard of truth? Who determines right from wrong in your world? Would you judge a child molester? See, my Bible does. Would you judge a rapist? My Bible does. How do you judge it? Well, I just think it's wrong. What if the guy next to you thinks it's right? What if somebody says, I think it's okay to rape? Well, I'll just tell them I don't think it's wrong. What makes what you think better than what they think? Because your standard of judgment is just based on what you think. They can say this is what I think just like you can say this is what I think. So neither one of you have a way of accusing or determining what is right. Might then makes right. So if the, if the ones who believe in raping get together and then start raping everybody, those people now are right because they're in control. So if the ones who don't believe in raping make a government that says you can't rape, then they're right. So the person who doesn't admit the Bible as their standard, what you have to do is get them to see that their standard self-contradicts. So when they say, I don't believe in an absolute truth, do you believe that absolutely? I don't think anybody's right. Does that include you? Think about that. I don't think anybody's right. Does that include you? I don't think anybody knows the truth. Does that include you? I think there's many ways to heaven and no one really knows. Does that include you? Because you think about all those statements that these are very popular right now with young adults. What they're not understanding is the statement that they're saying is self-contradictory to the, to the thing that they're saying. And a, and a, and a truth cannot be self-contradictory. I cannot be a married bachelor. I cannot make the statement, I don't know how to speak English. There's no such thing as a circle square. So when people are saying to you that I don't believe in your truth, I don't believe in truth, or I don't believe in your truth, what they're saying is, I have a truth, you're right, and I'm wrong, and we just went in a full circle, so you're a judge, judging me, but your standard's based on yourself, and it's self-contradictory to every other self out there. My standard is based on this, this is what God gave us, 
And you have to now make that decision. Do you trust yourself or do you trust God? And how I help them to see that they've let their self down is I say, have you ever felt that you were in love and then they cheated on you and a relationship broke up? You've let yourself down. Did you ever think you would start a diet and be healthier and let yourself down? Did you ever say you would break an addiction, do something different and let yourself down? Did you ever study all night for a test, the test come out and you fail it? Have you realized yet that you yourself are your worst enemy? If you have realized that you yourself are your worst enemy, you must now do the first thing Jesus Jesus told you as a disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Yourself cannot be the standard. Yourself cannot be what judges right and wrong. You cannot put God on the stand. You be the lawyer and judge his truth. You have to let him be the judge and his truth judge you, period. And that's where we get into the differentiation, which is really popular. You've seen it with Obama, with Oprah Winfrey. It's popular. It is humanism. Humanism basically says what each individual, it's postmodernism and humanism, and it's a philosophical discourse that nothing exists spiritually, there's no revelation from God, and what people develop as truth is now what is true. And the, the thing that they have tolerance for is everybody else's opinion until somebody says, I have the truth. So they're intolerant of people who say, I have the truth, but they'll tolerate anything. So let me give you an example. You go out to a club tonight. You're hanging out. There's a cross-dresser there. There's a gangbanger there. There's a, a corrupt politician. Everybody will be friends and be hanging out. And one guy will say, well, you know, sometimes I cut corners. This is how I make my money. And maybe they'll be like, yeah, sometimes you got to do that. Somebody else will be like, yeah, sometimes you got to get in a fight and show people you're tough. And they'll be like, yeah, I understand that. The one person will say, sometimes I, I'm a girl, but I, I like dressing up like a boy. I understand that. They will have tolerance for all of that until someone says, this one's wrong, this one's wrong, and this one's wrong. Then all three of them will point at that person and say, we all hate you. You be quiet. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want to hear you. We, we will only accept you if you then accept us. And so when Jesus came, he talked this very same way. Jesus said, if anybody comes to me another way other than through the door, they try to come through the gate or uh, around, he said they're thieves and li or liars and robbers. So if you try to go another way of morality, another way of self-identity other than Jesus, you're, you're a liar. You're not going to make it. And, that, and literally... Lying means you don't know the truth, okay? And so you have to put that together. And what did Jesus say he was? Jesus said he was the way and the what? The truth and the life. And so now when you think about this, everything that is true actually has its basis in God. And this is a little bit deep, and I don't have time to get you here. But this is, this is actually a philosophical argument that helps people understand what is the grounding, an axiom, what is the grounding for all truth. Why does math make sense? Why does science work? Why does laws of nature, gravity work? Why is it we can discover these things? See, right now, secular humanists, scientists who don't believe in God, have begun to say, we don't need God to do math. See, I can do 2 plus 2 equals 4 without God. I can do government and say, don't kill, don't lie, don't this is without God. And they say, we do fine without God. So European countries like Switzerland and all of this are trying to show they can make these utopias without God. But here's the problem. The question isn't whether or not things work without you believing in God. That's not the argument. We're not saying people who don't believe in God can't live, quote, unquote, moral lives. Donald Trump, Bill Gates, whoever, can be a nice person. You, you guys hear what I'm saying? They can do thing, nice things to their neighbor. They may tell you the truth. They may value loyalty. They, they may value the same kind of things we do. But here's the difference between us and them is they can't ground mathematics. Why does mathematics work? 
Why does it? See, ask yourself that question. Why does 2 plus 2 equal 4? Well, it just does. Why? Well, how did you discover it? Was 2 plus 2 equal 4 before? Was it around before you came here? If no one was here, would 2 plus 2 still equal 4? Would gravity be here if there was no minds, no human beings? Why, do, why are these things discoverable? God grounds all truth. If it wasn't for God, and so this is how we explain to them that God is the source of what we're saying. And uh, Frank Turek, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, gets a great book on this way of thinking because what you guys don't, and I appreciate this so much, and thank you for Jared for helping us because some of you may be bored and you may be zoning out, but you have no idea this is exactly the mindset of most of the people you're going to uh, speak to. These are the arguments that people are saying to you. You may get by just on the basics, but after a while, you're going to have to understand, why are they telling me not to judge them? Why? Why are they telling me they believe in that? Have you ever heard anybody say this? I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Anybody ever say that to you before? I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Like as if science is opposed to God. See, this is, this is a thing that many of this is what we're trying to teach you. Science only makes sense because of God. So somebody says back to you, I don't believe in science, I believe in God. Say, I believe in both, and I can found and ground science. You can't. They'll say, what do you mean? Explain to me why you can discover the laws of gravity, the laws of physics, the laws of nature. Explain to me how your mind can comprehend those things. Can your mind comprehend a color that doesn't exist? No. Can your mind, look at this, just think of, let me just blow your mind, let me just do a little mind game, and we'll just move on. What? What is the biggest number you can think of right now? Can you think, somebody would say infinity, right? Infinity times infinity, whatever. Tell me the number of infinity. Give me the mathematical, numeric number of infinity. It doesn't exist. Because why? If you think of that number, think of you, th you think of the biggest number. If we found the biggest number here, couldn't I always add one to it? I could always add one more thing to it, could I not? So does finity exist in a way that you can comprehend what is infinite? No, because you can't count to the end of infinity. But why is it you're able to understand what I'm asking you about infinity when I say you can add one to another one to another one, add infinitum? Why does that make sense to your rational mind? Because God has grounded this world, and he has given you principles to understand within this world, and they can use infinity in math, even though we can't even comprehend what it is. And some of the math that they do, they're like the his boson particle, which they called the God particle. They discovered first in physics before they ever discovered it in a science room because it works, and minds comprehend it. Let me give you another thing to blow your mind right now. Okay, you have a personality, right? Every one of us here has a personality. Could you imagine, like on a cartoon, could you imagine your personality, your likes, your dislikes, who you are, could you imagine this being in an animal or a cartoon or something else, like a Mr. Ed? Do you think your personality could be in a Mr. Ed? Just imagine it. Not saying could it happen. Could you imagine it happen? This is called this conceptual argument. It's how philosophers define what we understand as truth. Could you see your personality in a, an animal? I could. Why can you do that? 
Because you can imagine yourself outside of your body. You don't connect your body to yourself. You consider rationally yourself is separate from your body. But now ask yourself this. Could you have a body that represents, uh, excuse me, could you have yourself, yourself, be existent without a God? The book that I just got by the world-famous atheist that debated William Lane Craig called The Atheist Guide to Reality says yourself does not even exist because without a God, you cannot explain why your brain comprehends a self outside of itself. So you know what he calls that? He calls that an illusion. He thinks that right now you are the equivalent of an animal, because you are an animal, by evolutionary processes. It's one of the smartest guys out right now. They just came out with a new movie, Unbelievers, with Richard Dawkins and uh, uh, this other guy, Krauss, and, and William Lynn Craig debated Krauss as well. And they just came out with this movie, and their whole idea is you don't have a self, and that the self that you think you are that can exist outside of a body if you die it would, it would exist is actually an illusion your brain is just processing chemicals as my words are coming into your ears they're just stimulating neurons and it wouldn't matter if I was talking about God or talking about baseball you're just doing this as a survival mechanism to make yourself propagate your species and you don't have a self inside of you you're just a brain and chemicals and thoughts that come through those chemical reactions now think of this do you deny that can you deny you have a self and accept that even in his writings he says you will never be able to do this even if you acknowledge it so think about the extremities that atheists are willing to go to to try to convince you there's no God. They'll tell you you don't even have a self, a soul, even though everything on the inside of you tells you you have one, yet you are to believe you don't have one by the simple fact you can't see your soul. Because we can't see your soul, you're supposed to believe you don't have a soul, even though you believe you have a soul. This is why the Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. So when you're dealing with people like this, you're thinking that they're just flipping things around. Like you know, No, they're talking things that they're getting taught in school, guys, from some of the leading scientists. And so what we like to do is show them the very existence of their self is grounded in God. And you don't have to go into, can you imagine yourself being a Mr. N? Because they might think you're crazy. Just ask them this. Do you think yourself exists? Do you think you have a self? Don't you think most people would say, yeah? Ask them, do you think you're just a product of instinct or do you think you're a self? And what do we mean by self? You have a mind, will, and emotions. Not just a brain that operates on chemicals, not just physical stimuli, but you actually have a mind that processes things through your body. Do you believe you'll live on after your body? I messed you guys up so much. I just think about the question now. Do you think you'll live on after your body? What lives on? The soul. How do you know that? But can you prove it right now? You can't prove it any more than you can prove 
that you didn't come into existence three minutes ago. Let me just say this, and then we'll move on. How do you know that you're not a brain in a vat of a scientist experiment where three minutes ago they flipped your computer on and a part of your hard drive, they gave you the, um, the memories that you now have in your brain, the memory that you were here, the memory that we canceled because of the weather, the memory that you did something last night, all of that you call your childhood, your family, all of that was just flipped on when they turned on your switch three minutes ago because you're a brain in a vat right now. And as I'm talking to you about being a brain in the vat, they're telling you to think I'm crazy. They're telling you to think that this is something that I should just get over and that who does he think he is telling me I'm a brain in the vat. They're stimulating your mind to make you think it's crazy, but in actuality, you're in their matrix. If you saw that movie, you're in the vat of a jar right now. How do you know you're not there? Everything you would say to defend your existence right now could all be said. You're just a vat in a jar. Well, I know because my parents know me. You never played a video game where there's characters that talk to each other or... Uh, animation. They just made a character look like your mom. They made a character. They put this in your brain. Now, understand this. Can you prove the past? Can you prove that you were here two hours ago? No, because in every way you try to prove the past, they can say you're a brain in a jar, right? Every way you talk, well, I, I think I was there, and I had this feeling, and I had this feeling, and this and that. No, you're just a brain in a jar. You're just a brain in a jar. So what do we call these things? We call these things axioms, grounding of truth. How do I know there was a past? Ultimately, because God told me there was a past. That's the only way I can ground it. Other than that, I would have to admit, I don't know. I don't know. How do you know you're a self? and not just chemicals reacting in your body. You don't know unless you trust what God told you. And then, we, then people say, well, there's a lot of gods telling me different things. There's a lot of religions telling me different things. And what makes Jesus unique is the resurrection from the dead. You have to understand this. When we talk about the power of the gospel, we're not just talking about a guy had some good ideas like Buddha. I've seen a book with Buddha's teachings on one side and Jesus' teachings on the other. And it's like, oh, they're both the same. No, this is not what makes Jesus unique. That Jesus just said, love your neighbor, do this and that. No, what makes Jesus unique is that when he was here on the earth, he said, this is what I'll do to verify what I have said. You will kill me, you will destroy the body, but in three days I will rebuild it. I will rise again. In John 3.16, he goes on to say, Like how the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. When Peter heard about Jesus wanting to go and be crucified, he forbid him. He said, No, Jesus, don't be crucified. He said, Satan, get behind me. For you don't have the intentions of God, but the things of men. They didn't understand the cross. Why did they not understand the cross? Because how can God die? How can God come to earth and suffer? God's supposed to be our conquering king. But he was showing them that he had to suffer for redemption of sins. And when we say God died, what do we mean? Did his self die? Did his soul die? No. But he took on flesh and his body died. Your body will die, but does yourself die? No. But what proves to us that Jesus is who he said he is? 
his self returned to his body, resurrected it, and ascended to heaven. No one else has done that. So now we have a grounding from our truth because he said, I tell you the truth because I've come from above. He who comes from above is greater than those who come here. And once again, you may say, well, yeah, people in Moses' time, they knew they were a self and all this. But it's really not grounded in any way we could actually know and trust if it wasn't for Jesus coming. And if you ever talk to an atheist, what does he say? I don't trust what Jesus said. I don't believe I have a self. When my body dies, I go in the ground. Don't judge me. And you just flip the whole script on him. I am judging you. Someone came from heaven. This is what he said, and it is the truth. Put yours against his. I take his any day. Jared, you got a word for us? Guys, why don't you stand up, stretch out your legs, ask your neighbors what they think about that. (laughs) Stretch out your legs, ask your neighbor what they think. If you want links to that, I'll give it to you on my Facebook.